We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. Welcome to another BuzzBeat. We are live on Twitter Spaces. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. This is Richie, and I am going to be solo today. Uh, I'm recording this on a Sunday evening, several hours after the Hornets and Knicks played their matinee game. Uh, If there's anyone in here on Twitter Spaces that would like to chime in or ask a question, I, I know there'll be time for that within the episode. I also have a couple of pre-prepared questions, which I'll talk about too. And uh, what I'm going to do, this won't be any longer than 20 minutes. I wouldn't expect uh, quickly go over the game today, the loss uh, in Madison Square Garden, but also kind of give my quick overview thoughts of this team nine games into the season. I know that, you know, small sample size is going to be the case here, but you know, I'm, I'm going to talk about some of the trends that I'm seeing as well. So, final score today 129 107, loss on the road to the Knicks, dropping their record to three and six. The Knicks crashed the offensive glass like they normally do and were able to secure 33% of their misses and get 13 second chance points. Uh, but what I will say is the Hornets not only matched that, but exceeded that as well. Both of these teams coming into the game are both teams that like to create second chance opportunities, uh, sending players to the offensive glass. Hornets were able to tally 19 second chance points, uh, which was six more than the Knicks. Uh, that, That part of the game feel like it negated each other. Charlotte even broke out in his own at various points in this game, which I thought was an interesting choice considering it makes it harder to mark men on the offensive glass. But I think Clifford is really just trying anything at this point because from a statistical standpoint, their defense has been underwhelming this year. And another thing that I will say is that Mitchell Robinson was a big story heading into this game. And I think he out-physicaled Mark Williams. You could make the case that Mark Williams has been the third, second-best player on this team this season. Uh, But in terms of this game, did not have a great showing on 
you know, really either end of the court. Uh, there were moments where it just didn't feel like he was making that much of an impact. And, you know, his physicality showed up on the offensive glass and Mitchell Robinson just got good positioning in the post time after time. And I think Mark has the length. He has the size, but it doesn't always show up in the game when it comes to getting the best positioning. And Robinson was able to get lower, push his way into deep positioning. There is one possession where he was basically under the basket to receive an entry pass. And I can't remember if he made the basket or he drew the foul. But regardless, I think it's just something that's emblematic of Mark Williams, his youth, and just being able to use his strength in the correct way. So he'll get there. I mean, I think his lower body needs to get a little bit stronger, but also just kind of using his body in the right way to make sure that opponents don't get positioning that deep uh, within the paint. But to me, the difference maker in this game was the foul drawing ability from the Knicks and the shot making from Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett. Randle had 23 points, and he got to the line eight times. The Hornets as a team got to the line a total of 11 times. And so that discrepancy there is just crazy to me that a player uh, was basically three free throw attempts short of the whole team. And you could probably make the case that you know, maybe the calls weren't going the way of the Hornets, uh, but the physicality got to the Hornets. Some turnovers were created. Some of the bigs lost the handle uh, going up for a shot. Nick Richards, uh, specifically, I, I noted a couple times where he just got out physicaled as he was getting into the lane. But you do have to wonder that Julius Randle had eight attempts and the Hornets had 11 as a team. So that was kind of a a jarring moment when you kind of look at the the box score there. Randall's final line was 23 points, five rebounds, five assists, and three steals. R.J. Barrett, uh, his shot making was awesome too. And when I went on the uh, Knicks Film School pod earlier yesterday, Andrew, uh, one of the co-hosts there, was talking about R.J.'s step this season. And his three-point shooting is is you know close to 50% this year nine games into the season, which is crazy. It's obviously going to regress, but he noted that he's making the right play more often than not. He's scoring at a high, high rate, but also when there's an opportunity for him to take advantage of a mismatch, he does that, but also he notices his teammates getting open and doesn't turn into a player that's only looking out for himself. He's going to make the right pass. So Randall took advantage of some mismatches, getting bully ball, down near the paint, R.J. Barrett also scored a lot for the Knicks, and that was the difference maker to me, the, the foul drawing and, and the shot making. And, and some of the shots were you know, heavily contested, uh, but Barrett and Randall were kind of still able to get those shots off. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, switching it over to Charlotte's position, LaMelo, LaMelo was awesome in this game. In a road game, in the garden, he stepped it up, and his teammates did not. There really weren't many instances where I can kind of point to his play a sequence and say he went wrong here, he went wrong there. Literally, the only play that sticks out to me is when he lost DiVincenzo on a corner cut. DiVincenzo was in the right corner. Lamella was ball watching. It led to a nice play from New York where they dished it to DiVincenzo on the baseline cut. And then because the Hornets were in this rotation, it opened up a lane for, uh, I believe, Hartenstein, a dunk, a cut to the hoop there. But other than that, there is nothing really to nitpick about Lamella's game in terms of how he played. He was awesome. Finished with 32 points on 21 true shot attempts, seven rebounds, six assists, and one steal. So he's he's always getting close to that triple-double line, filling up the stat sheet. And I did have a question uh, from at MTStuff12 on Twitter, and he wanted my breakdown of LaMelo's improvement inside the arc. And... This, to me, is one of the bigger revelations in terms of his ability to get to the rim. This was something I mentioned on the Knicks Film School podcast. And the last two seasons prior to this, there seemed to be a lack of aggression. And it could be the mental hurdle of the injuries and getting to the rim. But tonight, or I guess today... That was not the case in this season. You're starting to see the improvement there and just being more attack-minded. He was 8 of 9 on shots inside of 4 feet in this game. And some of these shots were very difficult. I remember this one attempt that he had that was like an up-and-under look and um, it kind of came out of nowhere because he was driving baseline. I thought he was going to make a pass out to the, the weak side corner or back up to the top of the key, but he just goes right up for this like scoop shot, makes it. Eight of nine, like I said, at the rim. And you're seeing that every single game. He's gone from last season, the low 20s, to now the low 30s in terms of his percentage of field goal attempts at the rim. It's a big jump. It's 10 percentage points of his attempts are now coming at the rim. He is still a guy that likes to take shots from deep. And with a team that you know struggles to shoot the ball from behind the arc, especially with Rozier out, you're going to need him to take shots from behind the arc. But 
he's getting to the rim and he may not be getting the whistle that we want to see not coming in his favor, but he's drawing fouls at a rate that's semi-respectable and higher than he did in the previous two seasons. And I think if he continues to be aggressive, I think the fouls and the whistle are going to start to go his way because if he starts picking and choosing and being inconsistent with the way that he plays, I don't think refs are going to give him the benefit of the doubt. But now that he has picking up his attempts going towards the basket, I do think that whistle will eventually come. You know, we, we see him often kind of complaining to the refs. Uh, you know, he got hit, hit there, hit here. Uh, but it it has gone up in that respect. And I think this matters, too, with, with the Hornets. Because LaMelo, you know, in the recent games has been the only source of offense, you need other players to step up. But him collapsing the defense, getting the defense to focus on him as he can now kick it out to others, the problem becomes is who is going to be that guy that connects from an assist on a kickout pass. And so, yes, he needs to get his own points. Yes, he needs to draw some own fouls, but he also needs to get the team better looks from behind the arc. And Teo Maladon was a, was a player today that anytime he got the ball outside the arc, he always hesitated. And obviously he's not a good three-point shooter, so I can understand why. But that's just that's just going to be an issue all season if players aren't going to take the open shot. But, you know, LaMelo is doing everything that he can to get into the paint, draw fouls, draw attention, and obviously he's a great passer. So he can find anyone and everyone if they're making the right relocation and finding the correct spots on the floor. So it does matter that he's doing um, having this improvement inside the arc. It's funny, I was looking at the uh, the box score if you ever needed a game to show you why individual game plus minus is so deceiving, Ball was a team worst minus 32 of all the players. So that particular stat, I'm not fond of. I mean, obviously, sometimes it does work in the favor and it, it supports your argument of why a player played the way that he did. Uh, but this game, because Ball was out there so often, uh, it, it obviously kind of swayed in the Knicks' favor, and he played 32 minutes tonight, which was a team high. And uh, with the Knicks having that big third quarter and, and that second half, Lamella was out there a lot of times, and that's why that plus-minus was a negative 32. The only other player that was semi-impactful for the Hornets, and this is a problem, was Brandon Miller. And the reason it's concerning if you guys watch the game, because he only played in about 10 minutes, mostly in the first quarter. So when you have your second most impactful guy not being able to play the full game, you're relying on inconsistent play from the other guys. He played in a little bit of that second quarter when he tried to give it a go after his ankle injury in the first, uh, but I'm guessing it probably just felt too uncomfortable for him. So he was sidelined for the rest of the game. He is listed as day-to-day, and they did say that he could be available for the Tuesday game against Miami, which I do believe is a in-season tournament game, which the Hornets are actually first in Group B, which is is funny to think about. But uh, so far, Brandon Miller has been a guy that has been a little bit of a struggle from behind the arc, and that's, that's something that you knew about him coming out of Alabama, that this was going to be something that translated. But... Despite that, despite being ineffective from behind the arc, he's still impacting the game in so many different ways. I think defensively, just because he's 6'9", 
he's going to impact the game um, in terms of steals, contesting shots. For the most part, he's not giving up a lot of ground. Like he's not out of position. Like I would have to go back and you know watch individual games and kind of focus in on him. But I'm not seeing like glaring mistakes where you know possession after possession where he, either his man on ball or off ball are creating so much room to the point to where it just kind of jumps off the page. He's always around the guy. And, you know, I think for a rookie on the offensive end, because his three-point shot is not falling, he's not a one-trick pony. He's not a guy that, okay, if his three-point shot doesn't fall, you know, he doesn't have an impact. That's false. Like, he is he is becoming a guy that can make shots in the mid-range. And, you know, obviously the closeouts coming out to him, they know that he's a three-point shooter. He calmly takes a couple dribbles in, rises up for that type of shot from 15, 19 feet. He's, he's pretty good at that. He has showed that in recent games, his playmaking and making the right read. He's not going to over dribble. He's not going to kind of focus in on himself to the point to where it's a detriment to the other players. And he's just calm. Like he, he, he is not sped up. Opponents can't get in his head. You know, he's not going to make a play that causes turnovers. Like he's a low turnover percentage with this team. So I think all things considered, with his three-point shot not falling, he has been a very impactful rookie for the Hornets and the fact that he got injured in this game in the first quarter and he was the second most impactful player uh, speaks a lot to the other players for this game specifically. Like, you'd be hard-pressed to find a third-best player on the court for the Hornets. I think Nick Richards, like, if you're just looking at the box score, he finished with 16 points. But a lot of those came in the second half, and probably half of those 16 points came during garbage time in the fourth quarter. Hayward had his moments, but he struggled to get things going consistently. P.J. Washington felt non-existent. Let's see, P.J. Washington was one of eight and finished with four points. He's a guy that you need to have uh, consistent play from, and against the Knicks, that was not the case. I felt, like I said, Mark Williams, like I mentioned earlier, he was a little bit underwhelming. You know, maybe I'm a little being a little bit harsh, but I think that Mitchell Robinson got the better of him on most occasions. Thor's been inconsistent, and like I mentioned, Tail Maladon is just is disappointing when it comes to uh, the shooting aspect. Obviously, he competes, but. The skill level is just not there, and that's probably why he's on a two-way contract. So his his lack of shooting is a real real killer. And it's funny, I'd, I'd written a piece before the season talking about how all the pieces matter on the Hornets roster. If one player goes down or two players go down, there's just no room for error with this team. And we've seen how the Hornets have struggled offensively to make shots from deep uh, without Rozier who's been injured for the past few games. And he's really not having that great of a year from behind the arc. It's it's just the thought of him. It, it's the spacing. It's the fact that he doesn't hesitate on shots. You know, he, he's going to create some space inside the arc when he's outside running around uh, trying to draw gravity out there. I noticed today with the Knicks, and obviously the Knicks, credit to them, but anytime the Hornets got inside the arc, it, things were just very much clustered. It, it was not a lot of spacing. And the Knicks don't have to respect players that are not named LaMelo. Uh, and obviously, Rozier not being out there today. Uh, they don't have to close out hard. They they know that they can kind of pack up the paint, knowing that the Hornets are a very good team within the paint, that they're going to live with their chances on the Hornets trying to hit 
um, outside shots. And so now that Rozier's out, now that we have a wait and see with Brandon Miller, you've got two players that have been factors with this team. And the Hornets aren't going to win many games with those types of players out. Yeah, they could afford to have Bryce McGowan's out. They can have afford to have Tail Maladon out, but you can't afford to have Rozier, Hayward, Ball, now Brandon Miller. We will see what his status is for Tuesday, but uh, you know, we even saw a lineup today that included McGowan's and Ish Smith and JT Thor out there. Like it just it didn't fare well. So there there's a lot of talk about these lineups that Clifford is putting out there with Bryce or Teo or Ish. But that, to me, is just the nature of this team right now. I mean, sure, you could put Nick Smith Jr. out there, but I, as a rookie, you know, he brings energy on both ends of the court, but I don't, I don't think he's solving anything. I mean, he's a guy that you're kind of focused on for the future, a couple seasons down the road. You've liked what you've seen from him, you know, in spurts in summer league. That Portland game specifically was fun to watch, but... You know, you're not. You're don't think that Clifford is playing these lineups because he thinks that they are these like magical lineups that are going to work. He really is the hand that he is dealt, and when the injuries start to pile up, it, it makes it even more of a glaring issue. Um, I guess speaking of missing players, Miles Bridges, he is. Set to return after his 10-game suspension, which is the 10th game will be on Tuesday. And so the 11th game will be Friday against Milwaukee. And Clifford has stated that he will or should be featured heavily. So there's a lot of a mixed emotions when it comes to, you know, this comment about uh, about Miles Bridges. You know, I, I've mentioned before, but or maybe I haven't mentioned before, but there's a court date uh, about a semi-recent incident that has happened with him where he allegedly uh, threw some pool balls at his ex's car with uh, the kids in the car. Uh, You know, I keep going back to the fact that I feel bad for the kids just because of the, the situation that they're being raised in, you know, plenty sympathy for them and how they're going to be affected by this moving forward. So I believe if I'm not mistaken, he does have another court date Monday tomorrow. I mean, if you're if you're not listening to this live on Spaces, you know by the time you're listening to it, it, it means today. So I'm not sure what that means for his future, and maybe maybe the NBA isn't going to overstep the legal system. Maybe they can't. I, I don't know all the ins and outs of how that works, but. You know, these comments by Clifford are kind of rubbing people the wrong, you know, the wrong way. I mean, here's my thing. I, I, I don't think I ever wanted Bridges to come back after that semi-recent incident. Obviously, he had already signed the, the qualifying offer at this point. But just these things that keep piling up where there's smoke, there's fire type of deal. But if the NBA isn't going to step in, um, I guess it's up to the Hornets now to kind of make their their stance on on the way that they're going to use Miles Bridges, but I don't know. I, I don't know. It's hard for me to blame Clifford for making comments like this because he's still a part of the team and the NBA hasn't made their decision. And, you know, Bridges as a player, as a player, I know it's hard to talk about him as a player because a lot of the things that are surrounding him as a as a person right now are, are more of the issue. He would bring, you know, a lot of different things uh, with 
this team and you know the way that he can handle the ball, the way that he can also put uh, pressure on the paint. He is a guy that is very versatile in terms of playing the the three, four, and five. But he's got a lot of rust coming into this season, so it's it's very it's a very weird, odd situation uh, because personally, I don't think he should be on the team. But secondly, the NBA hasn't said anything other than the fact that he's going to serve these ten games. Maybe something comes about on Monday that changes things, but I'm just kind of in a wait and see approach. But it's hard for me not to talk about Miles Bridges, the player, because he is getting ready to be a player coming up on on Friday, and Clifford is going to use him uh, if he is available. So let me just get through a quick rundown of some stats, some things that have been kind of sticking out in my mind outside of this Knicks game, and then we'll go ahead and wrap up here. So through nine games this season, the Hornets are three and six. According to Cleaning the Glass, as of right now, it could change overnight. They are 12th offensively. They are 29th defensively, which is a surprise to a lot of people considering the way that they finished the season last year being like top six or seven, once when uh, Mark Williams was more of a consistent piece at the center rotation. And to me, the biggest indicator of success is not necessarily the offensive numbers or the defensive numbers. Obviously, you, you've got to be good in in both of those areas, or at least elite in one, and in maybe being a little bit lower in the other, 12th and 29th just aren't going to do it. But the biggest indicator to me is point differential. That's one of the first things that I look at, and that's they're 26th in the NBA. Um, to me, that is typically a good indicator of how a team is going to do in the standings. I will say that the Hornets are one of the better teams. I kind of mentioned this at the top of the podcast at grabbing offensive rebounds. Uh, Defensively, they're not doing a good job of not fouling. We saw that today. Uh, Opponents have a a really good free throw rate. I think the third most in the league. And offensively, even though that they are 12th, according to cleaning the glass, this team doesn't have a ton of shooters. And a lot of their offense is predicated on getting downhill, scoring in the paint, scoring off of putbacks. And yeah, they're actually a top 10 team when it comes to finishing at the rim. But also, they, a lot of their points come through the mid-range with the help of Hayward and PJ's floater that we've seen. But they are towards the bottom in three-point efficiency. So Clifford has talked more about getting up shots from behind the arc. But he's also mentioned the team needs to move the ball a little bit more side to side to kind of get things open and to get these spot up looks. This team ranks dead last in the NBA in in a total attempts from catch and shoot threes. So not only is the team not getting good looks, even if they are, it feels like these non-shooters are being a little bit hesitant on taking these. So I would rather these players just just fire away if they have an uncontested shot, uh, depending on the situation and the time, just just take it and shoot and, and kind of go from there. You're obviously not going to improve your three-point shooting if you never shoot threes. But, you know, that, that to me is a little bit of a mixed bag for offensively because when you see these point totals, you see the 12th offensively in the league. There are still some issues that kind of keep coming to the forefront of this team. And the turnovers seem to be a common theme in their losses and, and kind of starting out slow. So if they start to pile up early, uh, they're going to be in for a long night and and trying to overcome that. Lastly, on the defensive side, like I said, very disappointing numbers. 
Uh, the team, unlike the offense, is kind of like the opposite. They're, they're allowing teams to shoot a high percentage from behind the arc. And while teams are, are getting to the rim uh, semi-frequently, the Hornets are doing a better job of protecting the rim. I think you know having Mark Williams and Nick Richards in this case uh, helps that. But teams know, or maybe they should know, that the team's personnel from the center rotation is very limited in terms of flexibility. I asked Clifford, uh, I think it was like Monday or Tuesday of last week, after practice about the fact that Mark Williams and Nick Richards are very similar in terms of their play style, in terms of how they are used, their limitations. And I was merely asking it from a point, you know, perspective of style and the fact that there's probably, you know, a consistency and continuity, and that's a benefit. Like you can just trade out Mark Williams for Nick Richards. You don't have to change up a lot of things, but by the same breath, because there's not a change up and the offense is not getting a lot of three point shots, these guys aren't going to add to that. You know, does he see any, any drawbacks in not being able to have a center that, that kind of switches things up. And, you know, he's, he used that word downsizing a lot this week. And the fact that, you know, while you downsize, you still have got to be able to produce on both ends of the court. So if you are downsizing, you're probably giving up a little bit on the rebounding aspect and that kind of goes to a question that uh, Chick Nicholson has asked here. Do you think Cliff will be more willing to run PJ at the five once Miles is back? And again, assuming Miles is back and, and nothing goes um, awry or nothing comes up with the legal system or the NBA and in terms of stepping in with that court date, I think the answer to this is yes. He's actually mentioned Miles' name when I asked that question about the downsizing. And it's funny, Miles actually played pretty well at the five a couple seasons ago as well. And I think that because if you run PJ at the five and Miles at the four, that in itself could help with the the defensive rebounding to a certain extent. Uh, But when you have PJ at the five and you've got JT Thor at the four or whoever that's not named Miles, uh, you're giving up a lot. So I think that you know, Cliff is going to try anything and everything. Uh, he's not a guy that typically runs small ball. He plays to his strengths. Mark Williams and Nick Richards are obviously guys that don't stretch the court, don't space the court. <laughs> but it was funny. One one part of the game today, they had a, a play in which uh, Nick Richards actually popped to the three-point line, which I thought was funny to see. But yeah, I, I, I do think that Clifford may be more open to running PJ at the five come Friday uh, when Miles is back because they've got to get more opportunities from behind the arc and and PJ unlocks that and it unlocks some spacing opportunities for LaMelo and the other guards to get downhill. So that is that. Um, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up here. I appreciate everyone uh, for joining today on, on Twitter spaces. If you join late, this will be out as a full podcast version tomorrow, Monday, November 13th. So thanks again. This is Richie. Talk to you guys later. Good morning.